Hello, welcome to another episode of The Recovery Life with me, Dee McGinn. It's episode number two and I have Jill Alexander on the call. Um, I mean, not enough can be said about Jill. She is a force to be reckoned with. She has so much knowledge and um, expertise to be able to be shared out there in sports therapy and sports recovery. I'm going to leave the description of her resume, extensive, impressive resume to the to the interview, but um one major topic that we talk about is you know the findings in her phd um and even within the work that she does at the football hub um for cryotherapy and elite sport and other contemporary modalities that can be used and mindsets and methodologies the conversation goes deep um i've learned a lot from it hopefully you can take a lot from it as well um but some of the things you'd be surprised the conclusions that were drawn from her studies that haven't been released yet um it's 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 interesting to say the least so stick around to the end because she does give an amazing opportunity um if you want to be part of you know athletic studies or if you want support in providing your own enjoy hey jill how's it going Great, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. No, no worries. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I know we just had a brief conversation on another room there, but um, to introduce Jill into the conversation, so for anyone who doesn't know, she has an extensive resume (laughs) that we can go over, so I'm super thankful for you being here today, but to start... Jill is um, the program lead of the Bachelor Honor Sports Therapy course over in UCLan, which is where I attained my degree several, many, many moons ago. <laughs> Maybe like I think it was like 10 years ago. She's the program lead over there at sports therapy. She's also a senior lecturer in the Masters of Football Science and Rehab. And then on top of that, she is the lead in research and funding for football for the Football Performance Hub. Am I doing it? Mm-hmm. Am I, am I that's, getting there? That's, okay. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and then as well on top of that, is if that isn't enough, she uh, is also a PhD student in the mechanisms of cryotherapy in elite sport, which I am so excited to learn more about. I know you just said that you wrapped up a, a paper for that. So um, with all that said and done, again, thank you for being here because that's so much. But I am so excited to pick your brain on here and bring you in. Um, regarding recovery and sport and your applications and and let everyone know your expertise oh, thank you yeah no it's it's been really nice for you to invite me um because i've seen a lot of the work that you've been doing in america and it's really exciting stuff and really contemporary which is you know a massive part of what the phd was about so yeah it's just submitted that two weeks ago which is a huge milestone and a the journey's been yeah i can't even describe that but it's a phd by publication so it's 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 bringing the publications together um that have been doing over the over the past few years and just the last one to go out is the synopsis of that paper which brings everything together um including a real big part around recovery which you know is in in terms of contemporary recovery in sport so yeah massive uh, milestone but really enjoy doing that. And I think it actually just when you get to the end of it, it just opens up the floodgates of questions of where you're going to take it next, really. So yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's actually where I want to go with it as well, because I was I briefly talked with you before, like when, you know, I did the degree way back. It was like 10 years ago and I when I graduated and moved out to Boston, <laughs> like back then, contemporary modalities and sort of external application was really only beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so I was sort of where I was back then, like I was combining my knowledge and everything I attained in the in the course with 
what I was seeing the results of it, like, for example, in cryotherapy with athletes on an external basis. I briefly talked over on an introduction section, uh, introduction, introduction session over in um, the first session that I did for the podcast, just to sort of give everyone a brief interview, like a brief intro to everything. I said, like, I think it was in the second or third into final year, I discovered cryo in Ireland. So there was like one cryo chamber in the whole country. And yeah. that's where I did my work experience for the summer. And I went back in, um, into the into the course in England. And I had mentioned it to a few to a few lectures and you know, they heard of it, but it still wasn't a big thing. I think Manchester mm-hmm. United or something at the time had brought it in, but that it was very new. So yeah. I had said in the last session there that, you know, I thought from the results that I had seen at the time, I would probably want to apply it to like the athletes that I'm treating. And then mm-hmm. I fast forward, you know, I came out to Boston and then I, you know, really brought it on over here. It didn't exist. But mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that I want to sort of bring into this conversation is, I mean, I've noticed it and I, I don't know if you notice it from sort of watching it from that side of, the, I guess I would say that side of the pond as well. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. There's a vast difference in cultures, even in sport. And then I actually think the technology and the the sort of applications of sports recovery is very much advanced over there mm-hmm. versus here, mm-hmm. which is the opposite mm-hmm. of what most, most would think. I agree. I completely agree with you with that. Yeah, I mean, in terms of recovery, I think that this our last paper that was published, in, in, you know, in, in the PhD, really focused on um, a recovery aspect and the cryotherapy and the approach that you take. And it's very much an individual approach, but it's also very multifaceted in terms of recovery. Um, and what we honed in on was the, the sort of multi measures of performance. But actually, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of factors involved in that. And there's a lot of challenges in, in all of that as well, in terms of the approach of individualizing programs, you know, and coming in from a multifaceted approach where you're not just using one method of recovery. Um, I would agree with you in terms of the cryotherapy, massive difference, uh, you know, around the world with that. It's quite predominant in Europe and, and the UK. It's really grown. Uh, there's a lot of people researching in it, but it hadn't it really hit in America. And we highlighted this probably five years ago that there is a, a huge gap uh, over there in, in yeah. terms of people using it. And, and why that is, not too sure, but ultimately the evidence is just not being, you know, transferred into pra- applied practice. And that was one of the biggest things for me around the PhD was making sure that the work that we did and the research that we're doing is so applied and it can be then used within practice, you know, yeah. and that, that's an element of it. But yeah, I, I do agree with you in terms of the, the difference in cultures. There's a lot of things outside of that as well in terms of sport where the ethos of the club or the ethos or belief of the practitioner you know how the athletes respond to different types of of recovery and there is not a one-size-fits-all it doesn't work like that that's nothing Mm -hmm. new that's not new in research or practice um but actually well what what are we going to do about it is is the sort of question and a lot of the work's latter end of the phd has been around periodization of of cooling and recovery and bringing that in in terms of congested periods of fixtures um and you know when i first started that journey on the phd it was all about well what is the optimal application of cryo whether it's acute for acute injury or recovery 
Um, and actually, there is no optimal, um, you know, protocol that will suit everybody. That, and that mm -hmm. might seem an obvious thing as we're talking, but mm -hmm. actually the research, I agree, 10 years ago would not have highlighted that and not have identified it and or constantly searching for this perfect application of, of cooling and cryo. And actually, it's just so multifaceted and there's so many multi-measures of performance that you've got to take all of this into consideration. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good point, actually, that you even touch on that, because so what I'm seeing over here, I think in general, in so coming from where like sports therapy degree, for example, and then coming here, cryo didn't exist at all. Right. Mm -hmm. And then to bring it up, I think I was probably the first to start it in Boston. And then I did mobile to sort of make it even a little bit more of an extra step. But even when I started it, I assumed that when it does come here, it would be applied by people with degrees in sports therapy or physical therapy. They call it athletic training over here as well. Mm -hmm. Like, and then that isn't what happened because it's such an unregulated industry. Um, it really became a thing where, you know, if you had enough capital, you could start up your own cryo place yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so then that's when the boom sort of started to happen and cryo places started to open up everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. but it became more of like, um, I, but I think what I'm seeing over there, what I've seen over there is it started a lot with the pro teams and then it mm -hmm. kind of trickled down and then went into sort of commercial, right? Because like the yeah. pro teams had it in for quite a while. Like, I think, yeah. like I said, I saw a first pro team have it in like 10 years ago, maybe one yeah. or two. Um, and then here that was like almost like the opposite that happened. It was like commercialized first and then pro team started to look more and more into it yeah so absolutely yeah it's it was it was a funny thing for me to kind of comprehend because I was like well if I'm dealing with sports injuries and I want to you know help treat that athlete which is obviously what my passion has always been in then I can kind of like grasp okay this is the stage of healing you're, you're in this is maybe mm -hmm. what I would do or how I would apply it or not apply it mm -hmm. um and then the overall generalization came like, oh, just jump into the whole body chamber and you'll be fine. And, you know, with with a lot of places. Yeah. But then now there's a lot of pushback on that really kind of there. You know, they're saying there's not enough literature, which, for example, you just you just entered mm -hmm. a paper and you're working on all that stuff right now, which is amazing. But there's been a lot of pushback on like almost like the efficacy and like the actual legitimacy yeah. of cryo and yeah. then on cooling in sports injuries or in recovery. Like I was just listening to a few other podcasts there um, this week and ISIN is very different. ISIN, mm -hmm. actually mm -hmm. ISIN is extremely different to applying cryotherapy. It's obviously the old form of cryo and, you mm -hmm. know, they're saying, you know, back when you know we were taught even back then it was like rest ice like the rice principle Absolutely. and then now yeah. it's like no let's maybe not do that you know again like the acute phase mm -hmm. but cryo modern cryo is very different to that again just because of mm -hmm. how it's applied in the physiological markers so i'm yeah. really interested and fascinated to hear the research that's going on on that side and for mm -hmm. example like with what you did because I do think, like you said, there's every individualized situation with an athlete and there's so many markers to take into account, which is kind of what I want to really expand mm -hmm. this podcast to be, which is the recovery light. There is no one thing that fits all. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, like maybe you can tell me if this is how you feel as well dealing with athletes, but I almost, like even obviously every injury is a very specified like play-by-play -play situation, but it's almost even like, 
what I've learned even through life, and then you can apply that to the athlete, is like you almost need to really understand their external stressors, which may have nothing to do with sport, mm-hmm. you know, and then the timing of applications and the timing of when their rehab sessions are and stuff like that. Would you agree? Or uh, Yeah, absolutely. I th- yeah, I think you're right. And in, in terms of the sort of work that we've done around the recovery element of where cryo fits in you're absolutely right there is a difference between applying ice and and that type of traditional modality in in acute injury and it's very at the minute a very hot topic you know excuse yeah. the sort of on there but no, it it's very it's very contentious it's um it's very confusing for a practitioner and actually delivering that in in a contemporary program is, is also quite difficult because you've also you've got the the um, police acronym you've also got the peace and love acronym that's come out from BGSM so there's it's a great for debate and in terms of acute injury but yeah if we're focusing on the recovery element of it um, what we've sort of found is a lot of the evidence that's out there either focuses on one type of mechanism um, and actually in turn and what I mean by mechanism is um, biomechanical mechanism biochemical mechanisms physiological and psychological and actually as we sort of traveled um, as I've traveled sort of through that um, PhD and come out sort of the other end of it that psychological well-being aspect is massive and actually can have quite a big influence on biomechanical output and performance measures and so actually you know one size doesn't fit all and there is an individual approach but there's actually an influence around the performance measures that you're taking as a practitioner to determine whether this recovery element is going to have a real positive aspect um, you know on the athlete and you know looking at it from especially in a team environment you know and 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 throwing out recovery methods which are across the team yeah that might be great for time element which we're we're all strapped for time in those environments and also you know finance as well is a big thing but actually what you're going to get out of it in terms of performance when you just use the same thing across an entire squad what we found is that 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 isn't the best you know, method and approach to take. And if we're going to try and optimize applications of cooling, cryotherapy in particular, across a squad team, then that does have to be very individualized. But agree, you really have to consider the factors around them, you know, how they're feeling. And what we found in some of the, the research in the last paper was that that psychological and well-being element can really influence the biomechanical output Responses. in those tests yeah yeah absolutely wow. so so yeah so that's quite interesting I mean, there's a massive amount of work to, to be done on that and, and there's some really nice work that's, that's coming out robin thorpe does quite a lot in terms of the heating and cooling um work of recovery and and in one of our latest papers we talked about the fatigue and that measurement of fatigue and, and he's really brought that forward in a, in a recent paper which is a really nice interesting piece to read on on post-exercise recovery and which route you go down in terms of heating and cooling i think what we found when we use the whole body cryo so we've got one paper one key paper which is actually the first paper of the phd although it comes into the the uh, the last element of it um was looking at multi-measures of performance in the middle of a competitive season um in you know um elite rugby league um and in terms of that, we, we measured everything, you know, from bloods, um, you know, to looking at CK values right through to skin temperature, muscle oxygenation, etc. But a lot of that is not necessarily functional. And in some of the other papers, we really focus on the functional performance measures and whether they were right in terms of what it was that we were looking for. Like, what is what do we determine by performance? Everybody will view that differently. You know, it might be. <laughs> performance in terms of a win or a loss right. not necessarily on a on a, a you know an outcome or objective measure 
right. of, of that athlete's performance. So yeah, it is very multifaceted and, and multi-message of performance was a real eye-opener when we, we started looking at that. And actually when we come to analyze that data, individual analysis told us that you know a better story of then grouping the athletes you know into one study so there's a lot of it's probably opened up more questions than answers to to be perfectly honest Um, i'm not sure whether whether i've actually answered your question no no you didn't no you opened like that's what i'm saying and it does give it gives a broader sort of it like you said it opens up the book almost like it's I, i think sometimes when you're going through these studies it's like let's come to a conclusion so we can have a definitive answer but really it opens up another pathway yeah. of like well actually this marker but that that's science though right and that's yeah the absolutely yeah and you know what, what we don't want to we don't want to come uh, come at it from a pure academic point of view like we've worked at, you know everyone that's involved in it, especially i sort of sort of alluding to this recovery um, strand mm-hmm. within the football performance hub um but we are applied practitioners and we are the producing research, you know, so it's got to be real world. It's got to reflect what's going on mm-hmm. in sport, we, mm-hmm. not be a lab based study that is in perfect environments and measurements. No. There. That, that's not real life. That, that's not going to benefit applied practitioners. And, no. and I, I suppose that was our angle from the research um, that we do in the, the football performance hub at UCLan, which soccer in America. So, okay, <laughs> so yeah, I was going to say, so I was going to say for anyone, anyone listening on the US side, I think we all might just assume that it's American football, but really we're talking about soccer in this, in this term, in this term here. But um, no, it's so interesting. I mean, to bring it back just a little bit, I, I said this again in my intro session and I kind of want to bring it in to this just because you touched on it and saying that it really actually affected the markers. But I remember, um, and it's, it has stuck with me since. And I think just overall, I think in life experience and dealing with, um, you know, athletes on a professional level and, and even just sort of creating, you create that like client sort of, I guess you would say bond with them, you know, you get to know them as a person and that again helps because it's, it's sort of, there's a different sort of relationship there once you begin to have trust with your client and they, you begin Mm -hmm. to know their processes. But Mm -hmm. I remember one of the lectures at the time and it was in, I want to believe it was a manual therapy class, but like, I think for the first 15 minutes when we got sat down, it was like, you know, just so you know, like this stuff is important that we're about to learn. But to be honest, as a sports therapist, the bulk of your work is going to be to really understand the athlete mentally and emotionally and to actually help them through that, probably mm-hmm. for the first one to two stages of their healing, because mm-hmm. there's such a rip of identity that comes from them if they're injured and especially if it's a serious injury, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's all they know, especially if they're in a professional or they're trying to get to professional level. You're really having to dial it back. And back then it was just very much like, okay, I'm really going to have to understand the emotional markers, but sort of as I've sort of, you know, as you grow and as you travel through life and as I've sort of seen different responses with even the different ways that I've applied practices, I've really, really seen and understood where it is probably the number one thing because if mm-hmm. if they can't mentally grasp or, you know, get themselves to an emotionally sort of open spot and you know the stages of recovery they're going to come against you know the roadblocks Mm -hmm. and you have to push them through that and then in applying would you I don't know what's your opinion on would you agree or disagree or what would your opinion be on in those phases of sort of the mental blocks and like really like you said really understanding where the athlete's coming from in the stage that they're at 
external applications such as cryotherapy or anything else that you've experienced has helped them get through those blocks. It doesn't really impede the physiological mm. process, but it really mm. helps the mental. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I suppose you're sort of touching upon like a placebo effect almost. almost like it yeah. doesn't act, it doesn't almost actually matter if that thing's doing anything physiologically, biomechanically, biochemically, as long as it's not, you know, making anything worse, worse again. Yeah. But but so what so, so what if that makes them feel better you know and and that that psychological boost you know I don't think there's anything wrong with that in terms of it I think if we're thinking about sort of recovery and, and trying to periodization the periodization of recovery and optimizing it you know through that then that plays a massive role in in the management of an athlete I, I completely mm. agree and I think but then it comes back down to not just thinking of it as a single mechanism because all of them affect each other and I think yep. as a practitioner just sort of sort of you know bring that together and and that that's probably the, the sort of next stage or elements to taking things further and, and and really thinking about how that can be optimized um, and looking more into the sort of well-being of the athlete and and the psychological responses um and i agree yeah it's not always going to be you know physiologically going to going to change anything but you know if that makes them you know feel that they can complete that rehab that day or whatever then that that's not a bad thing but i think what we found in in terms of some of the this sort of um finding some of the papers that there are by you know potentially detrimental biomechanical changes that can come but that not necessarily in terms of the the recovery as such but it what we did find was that it, you would have to periodize that to counteract that so i mean as one it's example timing. yeah absolutely so if you're expecting somebody to be performing you know where they need neuromuscular performance response at that time you don't want to dampen that down by you know providing circumferential cooling you yep. know through whatever you know a pneumatic yep. uh, type of, of a piece of kit when you're asking them to then perform because that that will have a negative effect but if you're yep. looking at recovery in terms of getting them back in terms of readiness to train or readiness to play then there's times within that week or that you know micro cycle or macro cycle that, that it would fit in so yeah, yeah and I and I think that's something to, that we we want to get across to within the course as well in, in terms of a contemporary approach that mm -hmm. we deliver on, on the current course program and um, I think sports therapy generally, you know, and in brief has, has come on a massive amount and the opportunities are, are huge compared to the way I agree with you, sort of 13 years since I graduated and the opportunities now that the students have on that course, I mean, we've got 120 different placements across the Northwest, wow. um, you know, exposing them to all these types of different, you know, from elite sport to academies and, you know, um, down to sort of amateur but, but what they see and what they're exposed to now and the opportunities that are out there for sports therapy is absolutely fantastic but it is within the course and the, and the way that that course is designed touches upon the sports science elements of it the snc components of it and understanding contemporary modalities that i agree you know we're just not available you know at that time but yeah. that, that's that's how things evolve and um but it puts them in into a real strong position in terms of employability to you know to go out yeah. and, and and know about the the contemporary modalities like you say you, you know when you went over to america there was nothing like what you're doing oh. now you you really pushed it in boston it was it it wasn't available and and that's amazing whereas now they would just take that as you know it's whole body cryotherapy mm -hmm. or it's partial body cryotherapy or you know but actually they take you almost take that for granted that, mm -hmm. that 
we've seen the evolve you know of that and, yeah. and in now it, and it's in practice but you know there's always more to do in terms of evidence-based practice not everything we do is evidence-based right. um, you know some things that you're what you just know that they work for the athlete Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely fine. But in terms of the cryo and, um, you know, bringing that into recovery, elite performance settings, there's so much more to do. But actually what people are really, really considering now and, and hopefully what, what we've sort of brought out from the papers that are involved in the PhD is that real underpinning realisation that real world um research and yeah. contemporary research and approaches that are multifaceted you know individualization of programs multi-measures of performance really reflect what actually goes on in mm-hmm. practice yeah um, and that you know and that's that's I suppose is really important to, to get across yeah yeah have you um so the other thing is too like when I started out doing the cryo over here I kind of like mixed it in with like I said the re- rehab programs or the training programs that I was doing with my clients but what mm. I started with was a targeted machine, not the whole body. And yes. my finding personally with that is, you know, I love the whole body machines and technology has even evolved even more with the manufacturers, which I'm so happy about from, you know, using nitrogen to mm-hmm. electric. I think one, it's way more safer for, for the athlete or for the client going in. But from a business standpoint, the overheads are, it's better yeah. in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just safer overall. But I, you know, I think when I even noticed it at the time when I was doing targeted into whole body and then there was, um, you know, with the collegiate teams that I worked with, that's when I really noticed a true. So what you talked about in your, you know, with the PhD, I resonated with that a lot when I dealt with the collegiate level athletes, mm-hmm. because, you know, if they're D1 looking to go into like a lot of them are looking to go into like pro pro sports, so like pro NFL to be a pro NFL player or basketball player. When I was discussing with the strength and conditioning teams, you know, for their training practices, you know, it was one thing it started like, can we bring in cryo? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I can bring it in. And then our discussions went on for weeks because I really started to say, you know, let's show, you know, I need to see the timetable because I really don't just want to throw them all into a whole body chamber because I actually don't think that's going to be effective for like your player A, B, C, and D that one has like a, old ACL, you know, reconstruction, he just came back a year ago, or this guy has a bit of a sort of meniscal tear, or do you know what I mean? Like, so I was like, you know, there's certain players I don't want to throw into the chamber, I actually just want to do targeted on them. And Mm -hmm. at this time, and I was really looking at their next train, like, I'm like, are they training again right after this? And some would be because different positions are different things and I was yeah. like yeah no let's not put him in at this time yeah, we really absolutely. This time. Yeah. but I didn't realize it until I was in it and t- I really took that responsibility on myself and I was like you know that that wouldn't be beneficial if this is what we're doing mm-hmm. and obviously I'm not doing a PhD study or and like you, you guys are doing that but it, I kind of really sort of accustomed to that myself but then yeah it was just interesting and I, I actually find a lot of the time the targeted cryo was actually more effective than sometimes than whole body because yeah. we were able to focus on the areas of concern and it wasn't yeah. cooling their entire body down if they did need to go back into a session, mm. you know, so. I, I fully agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned like the targeted approach and stuff because been um working quite closely with um a company swell away so which is a and they've got they're just launching their their first product which is a targeted product which is called promotion but that is a peltier cell and it's it's very targeted so it's very small peltier cell of cooling technology and um 
so that that's come through like a KTP project, which um, supports the business. And we have a, um, a student that works on a PhD whilst oh, working for that business. But it is a targeted approach. And what we found interestingly, and I suppose it's not any surprise, but nobody's ever done this before, is look at the effects of a targeted approach on the rest of the body. And in that, mm-hmm. I sort of mean in terms of muscle strength deficits following cooling you're not going to get any of that with targeted approach yep. if you're working in a certain area. So I fully agree with you. I think there's a massive difference between what you're doing with that and what the whole body cryo or partial body cryo offers. Um, and, and I suppose you're looking at, again, at the, the different things there. You're looking at individualization of programs. Um, you're looking at, at the periodization then of when you do that and, and how that suits that, that athlete um, and the individualization of it together, like I said. So, yeah, it, it's almost... Um, these things are obvious when you work in those environments and and this conversation that we're probably having to some people is this is not new information necessarily but within the sort of scientific or literature that's available for practitioners it's not there it's just not there and it it is emerging it is coming out some really nice pieces of work coming out but there's a lot more to do to really support um, the evidence and you know and support what's already been done in practice almost so come from it from a different perspective you know what are you doing that's contemporary in practice and actually well how can we measure that and how can we you know optimize that application that's already there you know Mm -hmm. it's not going to go away overnight people are just not going to stop using Mm -hmm. you know if people like it athletes love it and so that, so that's great but then let, let's support that if we can um, like let's yeah. help it evolve that's kind of yeah, my yeah, yeah that's my approach over here as well like that again even with this podcast and these types of conversations that this type of conversation whether we're you know you you're doing a paper but I, even us talking about it is that's mm-hmm. the goal here for me and for mm-hmm. us to be able to put out there like there will be hopefully you know maybe cryo providers listening to this that wouldn't mm-hmm. have thought about that and be like okay actually, you know, I've been doing this for five or 10 years. And in order for my business to keep evolving, or if I do want to bring more athletes in, maybe I should consider this type of learning, mm-hmm. and this type Absolutely. of application, I think yeah. as well, like to help those even, again, it's different, because I'm seeing the applications different from there to here. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just evolving your knowledge or being willing to evolve your knowledge, not just saying, mm-hmm. you know, if, 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 if we're talking about cryotherapy a lot here, but I will, I'll ask you more on an expansive level beyond that. But I think it's more of a case of where, like, if you're going to be providing cryotherapy, whether it's in a wellness sort of boutique setting, or, you know, I just think if you're dealing with clients of any facet and any caliber that's coming in that wants treatment because they have some some sort of inflammation going on or pain that Mm -hmm. wanting and being open to expand your knowledge and not just say hey get into the chamber because this is going to help you feel good will Mm -hmm. help like you said the application is not going to go away so how do we help it and how do we Mm -hmm. help sort of the presence of it here so people want you know the the best they want to use it as its most best optimized um you know application then it has to be individualized it has to be periodized you know and to to suit an athlete and that that's something that that does need to keep evolving um so yeah so but to be able to do that the research that that needs to happen has got to be reflective of current practice yeah. you know what is it and contemporary applications so so yeah there, there's a lot to think about in terms of developing it but I mean 
that's part of the recovery strand. So in the football performance hub or the soccer performance hub yeah. um, at UCLan, I mean that that is one of the main main aims of, of that recovery strand that we've got in there in terms of of research and funding. And um, you know we've recently put in a few bids into, for UEFA and FIFA to be able to expand you know on, wow. on some of those research projects to really you know um demonstrate some some real world application um of research you know we don't like i said before we don't want to come from a pure academic standpoint we're all practitioners doing research and we understand the logistics within elite sport settings yeah. of, and and being able to not to just mirror that we, you can't mirror it you've got to get within season within competitive season collect you know data that is really current contemporary and, and accurate and and really think about you know the individualization and um, multifaceted approaches of of uh, recovery as well yeah mm -hmm. so on that on that note then we've talked a lot about cryo and cooling right and obviously it's sort of like a hot topic because i think it's going to be forever it's going to be debated for yeah. quite a while um, <laughs> but even on that like what is in your personal experience or what as a practitioner what is your favorite sort again I know it's individualized like we talked about it really depends on the athlete mm -hmm. or what situation you're dealing with but what other sort of considerations so if you're talking if there's an athlete listening out there right now that wants to sort of again different sports require different things but you know they're either trying to go pro level or they're pro level or there's other practitioners listening like what would be your sort of I wouldn't say favorite applied approaches because it's all like specified, mm. but what other, like, for example, cryotherapy is an external approach that a lot of people are reached to and you're, you're mm. researching it a lot, but what else is out there that is sort of worth noting? Yeah, I think, I think that comes down to that multifaceted approach of, of recovery. Yeah. And, and there is so much, I mean, the contrast therapy as well is, is quite interesting. And, and again, that's yeah. sort of emerging a little bit, you know, more recently Um heat on its own, cryotherapy on its own sleep is a huge topic at the yeah. minute <laughs> in sport you know and that I, I think that is, is massively important um it, nutrition as well which is just is not my area at all but it, again it is very important and I think it's 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 interesting to consider all of these different things and um as part of the I keep going back to the the recovery mm -hmm. um strand within the football performance hub but um one of the the sort of projects that we're working on at the minute is around profiling response and recovery approaches within elite football soccer mm -hmm. um, to increase performance, reduce injury risk and maximise player availability. And that's the, the, the sort of topic that we're working on. Um, so in, in so I suppose from my perspective is in terms of individualising, passive recovery is, is still, you know, hugely important. The timing of whatever the athlete, you know, requires or what they respond to positively as well but that's that one size fits all approach doesn't work and, mm. and that's nothing new like we said earlier on and and knowing your athlete is is very important but knowing their schedule so that although there's a lot of recovery elements out there to say that mm -hmm. to have one favorite I don't yeah. I don't think I can really answer that yeah. question I suppose it's, it's being aware of them and, and being and understanding their effects of them Right. to you know safely implement that and positively implement it to to maximize right. your, your recovery response yeah yeah no yeah i completely agree that's it that's definitely you know it resonates a lot for sure um on the topic too actually there's a couple of guests that i'm hoping to have on really soon over the next couple of weeks but i know that um like you said there's well, sleep i mean personally just speaking i don't function as a human being without like 
a long stand to sleep like whether it's 68 hours I know there's always like topics on how long you should sleep for or whatever but like I mean when you really just break it down like I think there's almost this maybe not in the athlete world so much um but I think you know sleep take you know it takes time right you need to sleep you need to get into like your deeper REM cycles I'm no sleep expert all I know is that I need lengths of sleep and if I don't get them I need to fit a nap in somewhere but when you're talking (laughs) about like an athlete or anyone even even being able to recover to get up for your next day and be productive Mm -hmm. whether it's in work or athleticism or whatever it is that is Mm -hmm. our human downtime like that is Mm -hmm. when the body regenerates itself so that Mm -hmm. makes sense you know and then Mm -hmm. when you're going to look at markers like diet obviously we know that's important again I'm no expert in in diet and or dietitian but I think that's where you know whether I wouldn't say fever like cryotherapy but whether your focus is cryotherapy or you know bringing in like different elements like contrast therapy or you mm-hmm. need to really be like you said aware of all these different things and like almost have a network of people that hey I have this athlete um that came in and they want to cryo because they came to me because they want to cryo, but like, I wouldn't be afraid mm-hmm. to reach out to someone and say, I think Absolutely. they might benefit yeah. from like, you know, getting your tests done. Like a, a lot of the holistic healing, especially I'm sure it's the same over there, but here it's mm-hmm. becoming more of a thing and less of training, eat, sleep, recover, go, 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 like pounding. I think it, it mm-hmm. all comes back into mm-hmm. that. How's the athlete feeling? Why are they feeling that way? Mm-hmm. There's a chemical breakdown, like if you want to look at their diet, timing of food and stuff like that and timing mm-hmm. of application. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting. It's just, it's one of those things that you peel back the onion layers and yeah, yeah. it really just never stops. Like, no. you know what I mean? Like it just keeps on Absolutely. going. But Yeah, yeah. And the club, you know, if you're t- talking, if we're just purely talking about elite professional settings and team sport settings, there's so many factors to think about travel, you know, to games and and that differs for so many different teams and sports around yeah. the world. It has a massive impact on on recovery. Um, you know, yeah. it, there's so many things, club ethos and and I agree, you know, your collaboration in terms of a um, interdisciplinary team, you know, and what access you've got to that differs hugely between levels of sport and within levels of sport as well, and access to, to people and equipment and kit and facilities and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, doing the basics really well is really important and having an awareness of their opportunities for recovery is really important and what you've got access to and making the most of that. Um, mm-hmm. And there's lots of things you can do, you know, to your athlete in in terms of that depend regardless of whatever level but there is so many factors absolutely it's like peeling an onion and just <laughs> on and on it and never on. it's never um, never stops <laughs> yeah so yeah it's, it's really important but it's a really interesting topic of recovery and because it's so individualized and it has to be so tailored to get to really get you know a positive response from it within these environments so everybody you speak to will have a different sort of perspective on that um uh, but I really do think it's a it's a really contemporary topic and a, but a really important one in terms of performance. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I just had a I had a question in my mind and then it completely went out of my head. But oh yeah, did, oh I'm just curious on a general level. So when you have researched cryotherapy, have you guys still dealt with the nitrogen levels, or have you switched to electric cryo, or have you experienced both, or? 
Yeah, I think I think there's there's pretty much both, you know, in, in this country that that is out there. I think some people just prefer one of the other in terms of the whole yeah. body, you know, in terms of nitrogen. But but agree that like financially there is there is a huge you know cost to that. Um, and it's whether you know it's 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 what you want to gain out of it and the the outcome of it and if that's going to achieve that and, and be efficient and, and the efficacy of it that you talked about earlier. You know, in terms of these types of um, types of modalities and if that that's going to be able to be achieved through electricity you know electrical devices as a comparison to it then then you know there is an option there but again that opens up a huge opportunity for research doesn't it as a comparator you know and what responses you get in, you know when you compare the two yeah the different types of cooling levels yeah I think I, I read a break I was about a little while ago now but I read um there was a paper I believe out there um, saying about what, nitrogen obviously gets extremely cold, right? So dry nitrogen air. And then I think with the refrigerated um, temperatures of electric cryo, it won't get quite as cold because it's not mm -hmm. an actual product. It's refrigerated air. But yeah. I think the conclusion sort of came where um, if it, it, do, it almost pass a certain degree of, of coldness, it almost, do, you don't need it to get that cold almost. Like mm -hmm. you need, you need the cooling effects and you need it to be of a, like the cooler, much cooler temperature than ice. And obviously it's dry mm -hmm. form, right? So yeah. it's not being applied to the skin and it's not having to go through the dermal layers, right? So, mm -hmm. but I think the conclusion was, you know, you don't actually really need it at negative you know, I think it was like 180 Fahrenheit or, you know, whatever it was at the time, but if it's cool. But again, they're just sort of brief conclusions being drawn, but it opens up that yeah, door for yeah. actual research to be to, to be done on it physiologically and see the different Absolutely. response markers that comes from yeah. that. Um, yeah, and it, I think, yeah, I mean, that would be a really interesting um, sort of avenue to go down especially for yourself that are using these really contemporary modalities and yeah. think about actually what access have you got in terms of how you can measure the the, the outcome objective measures of, of this intervention that you're using in terms of performance so yeah. to use that within a team it would be something that's not been considered before in literature but also would really impact practice in terms yeah. of the, the applied practitioners that are using the, the, the same modalities that, that you that you're using and and, and you you really you know are an advocate of using the, those types of um pieces of kit you know within these elite athletes so yeah it would be really interesting to see whether you're actually going to get the same response i suppose what you'd need to consider is not just the physiological response it would be the bio biochemical mm. biomechanical and then psychological and mm -hmm. that those four mechanisms i know i keep mm -hmm. sort of alluding back to the phd no, but because it's yeah they're the four it's, markers though they are like it just that it's just that it is what it is like without mm. those four markers you don't get answers and no like especially like i said the psychological um effects i don't like that to me is huge right because the body doesn't move without the mind subconsciously or consciously so mm -hmm. like you said whether it's you know if we're looking at data and we see like on there the physiological markers aren't that different but the athlete themselves think that it's a major difference that's yeah. going to play a big role in the result yeah. of the overall of the overall like Absolutely. testing yeah so, I, mean, I, I fully agree and I, I think um one thing that come out of the findings of the phd is um the design of some cpd courses that are accredited so vocationally accredited in hot and cold predominantly myself focusing on the cold element <laughs> yeah. um but really sort of bringing up to date 
cooling in sport this, you know and this course that we, we've put together with myself and my colleagues in is um, an accredited course um, and vocationally recognized but it really brings together all of this contemporary type of cooling everything that you guys are using you know in your clinic mm -hmm. and from you know the the pneumatic devices that are out there and really you know bringing up these courses to to a contemporary level this is what is being used in sport you know it's not we're not just talking about a bag of ice anymore no. it's, a, it's a traditional method there is so many others and it, it's quite interesting and surprising that you know traditionally these courses don't touch upon some of the real modern technology that's available in there um so hopefully you know that's something really positive that's come out of the phd in terms of you know developing the, the cpd accredited courses and um you know hopefully we can get more practitioners like yourself involved in that and and, and demonstrating the you know the contemporary modalities that, that are out there and that, are you, that you're using in practice and and, and that clearly are, are getting a positive response yeah you know, from the athletes that you work with yeah yeah no i i mean i personally yeah i just i feed off of it as well like the same as you like i love to for me it's a different right like you're doing you know you know like this amazing work as part of like PhDs and in your courses and accredited courses and being able to actually put it out there on a broader scale. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, I kind of look at it now is like my job is to almost take feedback off of the like everyday day to day responses and sort of if I can help in that way or with this, then yeah. um, that's that I'm, I'm sort of applying it as I can and sort of helping as I can in that way. But no, yeah. I definitely the biggest markers I've seen, because again, I don't have the equipment and the machines and, you know, the bio, like the bioscience and mechanical data to look at it on a screen and see the different markers mm. that's coming and, you know, the results and numbers. But mm. what I can definitely speak to is the feedback, the actual genuine feedback that I'm getting from the athletes themselves or the coaches that I sort of worked with and the different effects that they had. Like, let's say if they brought it in last season, but didn't bring it in this season, Mm -hmm. You know, if some athletes re reach out to me and they're like, can I come to you myself? Because I notice a difference in, in mm -hmm. my training and recovery for preseason. So yeah. those are, you know, be it their human to human markers, but those are things that I'm taking in because again, back to the psychological aspect, it will, t it will have an effect and it will take, yeah. it will sort of take a mark on whatever, however they approach their session. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And subjective feedback is, is so important. You know, because it's and, real life, and, like you talked about earlier. It's not clear. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a it's a whole other aspect, but it's it's a really important aspect, you know. And then like yeah. we were sort of chatting to to begin with, that it does have a, a an effect on other mechanisms. Um, yeah. So yeah, it is really important, and you can quantify that. You you can quantify the subjective markers that, that you take, but um, yeah, and that, that's a whole different element. Of, that again, of that's again. another door and it's another, <laughs> yeah. it's another room to walk into. No, I completely agree. Yeah. But you know, um, like practitioners, they, they, should be, they should be mindful of which measures best define functional performance yeah. um, and, and stresses of the athlete and what they're exposed to and the psychological impacts that, that they have on the other markers. And, and that's exactly what you're alluding to because you're so, involved in that environment and you're, you, you're in that environment and you see it um you know it doesn't have to be defined by a number necessarily yeah to, to, to you know promote a positive response yeah i do yeah obviously the numbers are important but again i think time um i could say probably you would say the same thing over there but here time is a big you you did mention it earlier on in the in when you talked about time is like one of the biggest things right that we feel like we're always running out of but 
I, I don't I, I guess you would say specifically even in like collegiate level sports here because that's the main platform where they're trying to make that jump right into like the professional world I don't you can you can put your input in here because I really want to know if it's the same similar or how the functions work um with like for example a uni level athlete that's going into pro over there or do they even go to like here they have like um the the, the athletes go to college and they get their scholarships mm-hmm. here and then they work mm-hmm. through college and then they get to a bigger level the mm-hmm. biggest component where a lot of these sort of college level organizations are bringing in cryo is um to save time or because yeah. they're college you know the, the the college athlete they have to be you know top on both levels you can't be you know call like the student sorry the student athlete you can't be student here and an athlete here they really have to respect both sides so Mm -hmm. time was brought in um as a marker and i really like that was one of the main pieces of feedback i got from a lot of the Mm -hmm. athletes that i worked with where they were exhausted they'd have to get up at five or six in the morning and go to their their training camp for the season coming in and then, you know, they might have to do their classes in the day and then go back to training at night. And so to really sort of help them keep going or recover, I wouldn't say faster because nec- fast recovery isn't always good recovery mm-hmm. in the sense, yeah. but yeah. the physiological markers and the psychological markers majority that I got from them where they felt more motivated to go the next day was they mm-hmm. felt more energized or they felt like they slept a little better or yeah. you know they yeah. knew that they were going to get that burst of cryo at that time of day so it was almost like their marker like okay I have cryo at like let's say five mm-hmm. I know that like I just got to get to five it's almost like I don't want to say you know a cup of coffee but it was almost you know it sometimes yeah, was like that yeah. marker. so it's interesting because mm-hmm. that's time if we talk about bringing the technology in especially with um collegiate level athletes at least over here it really mm-hmm. helps them sort of function a little bit better regarding mm-hmm. time or feeling like regenerate, re energized to keep going. Yeah. And I, I don't know how it like works that, over there. I suppose you could maybe compare it to like a semi-professional athlete where they're in right. these like, or almost like a part-time club environment where they, mm-hmm. you know, they, or they have a day job or they are studying full-time, yeah. but they are also playing sport to a really decent level, um, you know, which financially they might be, you getting paid for as well. So you, you, semi-professional, I suppose, is what you could, could deem that as. But I guess it comes back to that readiness to train or readiness to play yeah. and that feeling, yeah. you know, it's not just functionally ready, um, but also you know, psychologically and mentally mm-hmm. ready. And, it, yeah. and that's, I suppose that's what we would describe it as, or, you know, some people would describe it as that readiness to play or train. Um, yeah. I agree. And I think interesting what you touch upon there in, in, in terms of time um, and, you know, how many sessions you, you want to fit in, in in terms of a weekly schedule or a monthly schedule, or microcycle, whatever you want to describe it as, but also the sort of feasibility of the kit that you're using. So in terms of like with, with the ones that you use, is in the whole body cryo, but then you've also got your nitrogen, which is a lot more portable, I'm guessing, in terms of that. So in terms of timing and actually exposure of those athletes and um, meeting the demands of the sports, it's a lot more feasible with a piece of kit like that than it is to try and get people into a, a whole body, which, yeah, are mobile and appreciate you can, you, we've got the mobile um, capacity to, to do that now, but not always is yeah. always feasible at scale yeah yeah well actually even on that even on that marker now peeling back another layer actually <laughs> even on that topic um with the nitrogen so my 
my my overall passion has always been athlete first, right? So even when you would talk with like a manufacturer that would sell you the piece of equipment with, you know, that needs to use nitrogen to function, mm. the talk over here was initially like, you know, you want to ideally get maybe X amount of number of people in the chamber to, to maximize your use of nitrogen. So you're not wasting nitrogen, cooling mm. the machine and then war and it's mm. warming up again and there's no start stop. And yeah. back then when I first started, that was the only technology available. So I had to work with it. But yeah. I remember immediately thinking, I don't, I don't want to say, oh, I ten, 10 of you athletes come in here because really on the back end, I'm thinking about my consumption of nitrogen. Like that's not the way I want to function, you know, giving them the recovery. So on that note, I think, you know, if you're really considering the athlete over necessarily, you know, financial gains are obviously important if you're running a business, but like mm -hmm. if you're really considering and you really want to step forward into that space with athletes, mm -hmm. that's where I've noticed electric cryotherapy really can be of benefit because it doesn't make a difference when you start and stop it. You're not worrying mm -hmm. about consumptions of an external product and mm -hmm. you're still getting a cooling effect, but we just don't know yet because we haven't done the research. <laughs> but if, if, if the level of cooling is, you know, yeah, advantageous to be more or less, but mm -hmm. I would say on that, point that you just made um I would say that that's where targeted I would even say mm -hmm. is a little bit better because you're not having to cycle a massive machine through you can mm -hmm. focus on an area if you do have mm -hmm. nitrogen or electric you don't really have any of those concerns because you can kind of mm -hmm. but yeah. I think that's um, that's one of the benefits that we found with the the promotion evolution one which is the the, the product by swell away and uh, with the peltier cells because they are you can travel with them there's no water there's no ice involved in yeah. them you know the, the cooling can be targeted like as you suggest that you apply as well but um in terms of you know consumption and use and if you think about when you're traveling with a team the long distances flying you yeah. know not, not everything's on a bus yeah. <laughs> um these these type of recovery modalities you know uh, come into their own then and, and it's a completely different approach but um yeah, as a, as a comparison, there's just so many contemporary approaches and that yeah. might be the piece of kit, but actually not the piece of kit, the person applying it and their understanding around it. 100%. And because that, that changes the optimization of the application. Correct. Um, exactly how you've described there. So yeah, it's really nice to hear the different types of, of, of contemporary cryotherapy that, you, you, that you're applying as well. And it will be really interesting to take those type of things forward because they are targeted for elite environments, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, the, and these athletes with, you know, massive congested schedules, real high demands of their sport and study if they're at collegiate level. Um, so it'd be really interesting to take that type of stuff forward, you know, in research, but and, and getting away from that academic type <laughs> research, like a really like okay. purely applied research, you know, yeah. in the context of how you naturally use it. So that would be really nice to to take forward as a you know as a collaborative type of project. Yeah. Yeah. No, completely agree. I think overall, generally, the conclusion might be what we would say here is for anyone sort of doing it, whether it, you know, it, I think on this side of the pond, whether if it, we talked about cryo a lot because I think that's just where mm -hmm. we resonate a lot. You just finished your PhD, um, applied papers, and that was a big topic in it. But I think it's you know whether you're the athlete, you know, be aware of what markers um, psychologically affect you, what really feel you, help you feel better in your process, and maybe what may, might make you not feel as good in your process. 
communicate a lot with your practitioner on what mm -hmm. works for you or what you feel works for you. I think as a practitioner, really take into account what your athletes going through and what they might find that helps them and also apply mm -hmm. your knowledge. Um, and I think just overall expanded knowledge, right? Always being open to the evolution of science and mm -hmm. not really cutting anyone or anything off, just being open mm -hmm. to learn a little bit more because yeah. it is a case by case basis. It does depend on the athlete and where they're coming yeah. from and where they're going. You Absolutely. know, yeah. one size doesn't fit all and that individual approach and tailoring approach and there's so many options out there. But yeah, know your athlete and and know what is, you know, positively beneficial for them. Absolutely is a, is a nice take home message. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good way to finish it, don't you think? I do. I do yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> it was lovely talking to you. I'm so happy. Honestly, thank you so much for coming on. I was looking forward to this conversation so much. Um, oh. Is there anything else you want to touch on that you don't think that we touched on, like even regarding your courses or that you'd like to put out there? Um, about the work that you're doing a bit more yeah I mean if anybody you know is really interested in in the football performance or but uh, that, we, that we set up at UFON then by all means get in, get in touch with my colleague uh, so Dr David Rhodes who is the sort of brainchild behind it I'm just one one tiny element in that so he's really drove that forward um, and then get in touch absolutely I mean we've we co-founded um, a journal as well, so um, an academic journal, but it is for practitioners. Um, so if you're wanting to publish in sort of different innovative ways, um, uh, you know, then get in touch. That's Journal of Elite Sport Performance. So we're really, you know, open for practitioners. We've got a really nice advisory group um, together from from all elements of elite performance and elite sport, which are reviewing a lot of papers at the minute. Um, but we're open, you know, to for conversations if people want to get in touch or become part of the advisory board on that as well. So yeah um and yeah that, that can send you all the details of that. yeah group. no definitely yeah. send me all the i mean i'm even interested i'm like i just i feed off the stuff I, the work you're doing is amazing and i mean i'm so happy that you're being able to put it out there but yeah send me all the information over and then i'll put it um in the info board as well so we can yeah. get it out there but honestly with everything that you have going on thank you so much for coming on <laughs> i'm so happy to have the conversation with you and hopefully we can continue having more Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. There you have it, folks. Episode two is in the books in the recovery life. Um, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Jill and hopefully you took as much away from it that as I did. And, you know, it's very clear that there's still a lot of work to be done and that's OK. And that's part of the beauty of it, isn't it? So, um. You know, I think a big topic is the timeliness of treatments is 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 a major key and really staying on top of our knowledge and um, specificity to each athlete. So the conversation will continue. Um, episode three is coming soon. And thank you so much for sticking to the end. And until the next time, stay safe, stay well.